God. I, just singing this song of almost celebrating our need for you, I just realized the tension between that and the fact that I spend most of my life trying not to need anything from anybody. God, this song, even as we sing it, collides with that part of me that doesn't like to admit when I'm weak. It doesn't like to be out of control. God, I want to feel like I'm enough and that I can do everything on my own, but that's simply not true. In so many moments in life, the kind of moments we try to avoid, but when they inevitably come and we feel weak and we're on our knees and we're going through a dark season, God, those moments remind us of just how much we are in need. But oftentimes those are the very moments when we realize just how good you are, how powerful you are, how you are our defender, you are our friend, you are our father, you are creator and protector, you are the redeemer, the deliverer. That is who you are. And oftentimes when I'm trying to live in my own strength, I, I can't see that. And so, Lord, I pray today, not just for myself, but for all of us, that we can get honest about our weakness and our need. And in getting honest, that there we find that our weakness is not something that we need to be terrified of, but it's something that it's exactly where we learn to come to you and discover your goodness and your love and just how faithful you are. And once we get there, we realize, man, why have I been trying to do this whole thing on my own anyway? God, you're so good. I want to be with you. I want to follow you every hour. So Lord, as we worship, May we learn to not be afraid of our weakness, but come to you in the midst of it. For your God, you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So God, we welcome you here today. Come speak to us and lead us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. May have a seat. Well, good morning again, everybody. Thank you, Michael. So we're going to jump right back in now to uh, our series that we're in called Extraordinary. Ordinary people, extraordinary purpose. We are in week two of seven. And each week that we're in this series, we're looking at a different story of a seemingly ordinary person in the Bible whom God uses in an extraordinary way. So we've just selected a bunch of different stories of those we might consider heroes of the faith to see how God powerfully works through them. And we're also going to see if we take a closer look at who these people are, that they have many of the same limitations, struggles, and doubts that we do. And so each story is going to surface this question over and over again. Well, what does it take to be used by God in an extraordinary way. What does it take to be a quote-unquote hero of the faith? 
Well, since I was a little kid, I've been fascinated with the whole idea of heroes. And I get it honest, because my dad, since he was a kid, has been collecting comic books, like from the 50s and 60s. So that's always been a part of my life. Like, I could navigate a comic book store as an elementary school kid. I remember one year he took me to the largest comic book convention in the world in San Diego where adults can dress up like superheroes and villains with no judgment. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a learning experience for me. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, Jason Lorenz uh, talked about how he collected sports trading cards. Well, I don't mean to one-up him, um, but I collected superhero trading cards. So, that's all I got to say. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, but I think one of the reasons why I went so deep in the superhero thing was because I, I wanted to be them, right? Like, I wanted to be that person who would courageously go to the places that others were afraid to. I wanted to, to, to fight the good fight but without these human limitations that I had. And considering the fact that Marvel, movies and shows, just streaming in general, has now grossed $30 billion in its lifetime, I don't think I'm the only one. I think that this is common, that we want to feel like we can live beyond these limitations. But if you ask the comics, what does it take to be a hero? Their answer well, superhuman strength, intelligence, skill, I don't know, a billion dollars, <laughs> something like that. In other words, to be extraordinary, you have to be extraordinary. But when we look at the stories of the heroes of faith in the Bible, what does it take for them? It's a very different answer. Because it's not this extraordinary talent or even courage sometimes but we see for them, it's just a singular heart for the Lord and a surrendered will. And to give us an example, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. The story of a, a hero in the book of Judges named Gideon. Gideon. Now, in Gideon's day, the nation of Israel was in a bad way. Right, they had this, this oppressive group of marauders coming through called the Midianites. Sacking the land, leaving them impoverished, and hiding often in caves. They needed a hero, and they needed it soon. But, in answer to all of their cries for help, God doesn't send them a superhuman or a billionaire in an iron suit. God sends them Gideon, who is a fearful, self-doubting farmer from the weakest clan. I mean, that's like... The Celtics choosing me to come help them beat Miami, <laughs> right? Like, it defies logic, right? So why would God choose Gideon? Well, first, in answer to that question, we're going to first begin by looking at, well, what was the heart of Israel's problem? And we're going to see it's actually a heart problem. And just like it was for them, it is for us today. But second, we'll see why God often works through the least likely or the ordinary. And last, what does God require? What does he want to grow within us before he can do extraordinary things through us? 
So let's turn together to a book called Judges in the Old Testament in chapter 6. If you want to turn with me the Blue Bibles, it's page 194 is the page we are on. 194. And before we meet Gideon, we're going to get a little context. We're going to read just the first 10 verses of chapter 6 just to understand what was going on at the time before God calls Gideon. All right, so Judges chapter 6, verse 1. You guys ready? All right. In the time of Gideon, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. And they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. And they came up with the livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Lord, I pray that we would listen to you. I believe in the power of your spirit to take this message, take your word and deliver it to our hearts and our minds in a transformative way. So come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just mentioned how my dad as a hobby collected comic books. Well, that's what he did by night. But by day, he was a financial advisor. So, so if you're like, wait, that sounds different. But it, yeah, he was a financial advisor and a good one. And he gave me advice early on as I was beginning to set out on my own and trying to think about you know, a re- retirement plan or something like that. And he said, listen, if you want to build wealth over time, he said, then in his words, you need to diversify your portfolio. In other words, don't take all your money and put it in one or two stocks, Because if one or two of those tank, your money goes with it. So instead, put it in a bunch of different stocks or mutual funds so that even if one or two tank, you still have security and stability and you can build your portfolio over time. Well, that sounds like good financial advice, right? And despite how good that financial wisdom may be, When we read the story of Israel in the book of Judges, we learn that diversifying our worship portfolio only leads to spiritual poverty. See, Judges tells the story of the people of Israel, but this is now several generations after Moses and God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and now he has brought them to the promised land. And before he brought them into the promised land, he told them, he said, you're to worship one God, one God, that is me. And this is also before the time that they had a king, like King David or King Saul. God himself was to be their king. And he was telling them, like, he is the all-sufficient hero. 
He is the one who, who was delivered them from slavery, brought them to the promised land, and will provide for them. And so they are to invest their trust and devotion singularly in him. Because he's never failed and he never will. Yet, what did we hear the prophet tell them? They had not listened to the Lord. The whole story starts with saying that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. More specifically, they began to worship the fertility and harvest god and goddess called Baal and Asherah. But that doesn't make sense. right? If they knew that God was their hero, that he was the one who saved them from Egypt, then why would they need to go outside of him looking to anybody else? Simple answer, they, needed, they felt they needed to diversify their God portfolio, right? But this is what human beings tend to do. And they're evidence that our human nature just struggles to trust God singularly above all. See, at this point in Israel's history, they hadn't stopped worshiping the Lord as God. They had just added the worship of Baal and other gods too. Because here's the logic. Well, God, he was a great warrior God. He delivered us from Egypt and he helped us fight our battles. But now we're in the land and our livelihood depends on our crops. And Baal has a, is a big name in, the, in these parts as being the God of the harvest. So what could it hurt to just diversify our worship a bit to make sure that if God can't come through, we at least have Baal there for us? And that's what human wisdom says. Right? Just to make sure you get your needs met, diversify your trust across many different things. So we learn by that, I'll trust the Lord with my health, but I'll trust my job performance for my future. I'll trust God for my marriage, but I'll trust in my political heroes for my nation. I'll trust God for my security, but I'll trust other people's opinions of me for my value. See, once we start going outside of God, looking for a savior, we found a 21st century Baal. Do you see that? And once God's not enough, he's no longer our one true God. And while the logic makes us think we'll be better off, that adding another savior to God doesn't actually increase our security. It leads to spiritual poverty. That Israel worshipped the harvest God, but what was the result for them in the story? The Midianites came on through and sacked all their harvest. Where's Baal? See, God's allowing them to see the result of trusting in someone or something other than him. Because the great lie as old as Eden is that God and his way isn't enough. You can believe in God. Sure, believe in God. But you need more than God to be fulfilled, to feel free. And so, yes, following that lie, Israel ended up only afraid, desperate. But as I was reading the story, I felt convicted myself just realizing how many times I've fallen for that lie too. Believing, for instance, yes, amen, God is my provider. But then I exhaust myself trying to provide for myself. 
Or yes, God gives good gifts, but man, sin feels good too, at least for a moment. Yes, God loves me so much that he sent his son so that I can belong with him, but I I need other people's approval too. But the more I seek other people's approval, the more I start to forget who I am. And the more that I try to find satisfaction in things outside of God, the more empty I become. And the more I exhaust myself thinking all the things are weighed on me, the more weary I am. The going outside of God doesn't leave me better off, but impoverished. So I ask all of us, is there a God-given need that you've been striving to meet with a false Savior? And if you're not sure, then perhaps just pay attention to the symptoms of that, which oftentimes are fear, anxiety, exhaustion, discontent, emptiness. That if you're feeling and experiencing those things consistently, oftentimes God's allowing that just to get our attention to a heart issue that he wants to set us free from. So ask him, God, am I looking to something outside of you? Because whether we like it or not, to be human is to be limited and finite. To be human means that we have no choice but to trust in something or someone bigger than ourselves. But if you're like me, I don't like that. I don't like to admit that I'm weak. I don't want to feel like I'm out of control. That's why we're drawn to these superheroes. Because we can at least pretend for a moment that maybe we can exceed limitations too. But in Gideon's story, we see that our weakness and our limitations are not something to despise. But actually, our weakness is an opportunity for the Lord to do what only he can through us. If you're not amening yet, you will soon, all right? Because like, like this, this hits me hard. Let's finally meet Gideon. The man who's going to save Israel. The name Gideon means one who cuts down. And so you can imagine in your head, like before you meet this guy, like a Dwayne Johnson the Rock type, right? But he's anything but. Look again, because the first time we meet Gideon, it says that he is separating the wheat from the chaff, his meager little harvest, not in the open air like everybody else does, but hidden in the hollowed out rock of a wine press. In other words, he's taking his meager harvest and hiding from the Midianites so they don't see him. Not exactly a picture of courage. But then a messenger of the Lord, of God, of a messenger from God greets him. Get this. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> right? Like, can't you see him? Like, who are you talking to? <laughs> Me? But see, despite where we are right now and all the flaws and the weaknesses we see and feel, God sees who he made us to be. God not only sees who we are now, he sees who he's created us to be. But Gideon doesn't quite see that yet. And so he says, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Actually, he says that. See, he says, If the Lord is with us, then why are we so impoverished? If he's the God who delivered us from Egypt, then where is he now? In other words, sometimes it feels like God is only a God of the old stories, but not present to power. 
And if Gideon's our hero, he's not exactly a picture of faith either, is he? Well, the Lord turned to him again and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon again, one more thing, pardon me, right? (laughs) What strength? He says, I am from the weakest clan in my tribe and I'm the least in my family. Not exactly a picture of confidence either. And a couple of verses later, he even, just to make sure that this messenger's talking to him, he says, I need you to show me a sign. And so he prepares a meal for him. And, and then the, the angel, the Lord, the messenger just burns it all up in flame in one moment and disappears. He's like, okay, well, I guess that was, that was God. But when we think about a hero, like what's the bare minimum to be a hero? Well, surely, courage, strength, confidence. But Gideon was none of these things. But God sent him. Why? Because if we know our weakness, we're more likely to admit how much we need the Lord. If we're aware of our weakness, we realize our need for God's strength. If we're aware of our struggles, we will lean with all we are into God's grace. If we know we're insufficient for the challenge, then we will give God the glory in the victory. Gideon knows he's not enough to save Israel. But notice the Lord doesn't assure him by patting him on the back and says, No, Gideon, you are strong enough. Believe in yourself. (laughs) No, he says to him three times, what? The Lord is with you. I am with you. The Lord is with you. Because our God-given purpose is always bigger than us. And that's on purpose. So we learn to depend on his power for it. And if God can take a weak, self-doubting, scared person and do extraordinary things, then our trust need not rest in ourselves or anybody else but in him. But it's hard to understand because it it turns the way we're used to things being completely on its head. And the Apostle Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. When Christ came, when God sent his son, he didn't send him into this world like Caesar but as a baby, a baby in poverty. And though God, he took on the weakness of human flesh and dependent upon his heavenly father, he went to a Roman cross meant to shame the weak and mock the lowly. And there he went to the lowest place of death for us. But from that lowest place, God the father accomplished Through God the Son, what only God could do when he rose Christ from that grave, defeating the power of death and sin forever. And his victory becomes ours, not because we're good enough, we're strong enough, we're courageous enough, but because of what God did for us in Jesus. Yes. And we belong to him when we, one, first admit 
that we are too weak to save ourselves. And two, receive by faith the free gift of salvation for us in Jesus. And he did all of this, not so that we would have something to brag about, but because he is the hero. And like Gideon, I mean, I've struggled with confidence my whole life. But I realized from this story what I need to hear is not, oh, no, you're good enough. But like Gideon, I need to hear the Lord is with you because I know I'm not enough. I know in my weakness I am not enough, but I can see that he is. So when God works through us despite our weaknesses, he becomes the hero. And he's the obvious hero. This story is not really about Gideon. It's about God. This Bible is not really about us. It's about Jesus. He's the obvious hero. And when our lives begin to declare that, he begins to work through us despite our weaknesses and our challenges and our struggle. The world around us see, oh, God is the hero, not us. So if God doesn't need extraordinary people to do his work, He certainly works through all kinds of people. But if he doesn't need it, then what does he require? What does he want to build in Gideon to make him fit for the task? And what is he working to grow in us too? Well, see, God wants to do what only he can do. And for that, he requires a singular heart and a surrendered will. So the Lord is going to work through Gideon. To save Israel from the Midianites. But before Gideon goes to the battlefield, God will require his whole heart. And so God commanded Gideon, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside. Then build an altar to the Lord. Before we can trust God in the battle, we must have a singular heart for him. And for us, this means that if you want to see God work through us in ways that only he can, we must be first willing to confess and tear down any patterns of sin or any ways we're trying to serve another Lord or master other than him. It just got quiet. You know what? And I think part of that is because like, that's sobering. That's hard to do. It's kind of scary even sometimes. And it was for Gideon too. Gideon did it, but he did it in the dark and in the dark so that no one would see him because he was afraid. It is hard, but even in his fear, he still obeyed God, and that is what matters. God does have purposes for us all that are bigger than we can do on our own. And he will cause us to step out in obedience and trust him. But when we do, God's enemy will find any ways he can to oppose us. And all he may need to do is simply leverage some hidden sexual sin, pride, jealousy, bitterness, or something of the like. Thus, like Paul told his protege Timothy, he said, flee, run, Don't flirt with the evil desires of your youth, but instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure, that is, singular heart. Don't wait to do that when you feel like it. 
Gideon didn't. But the Lord was with him. So tear it down. Tear it down. And after Gideon obeyed God from a singular heart, God told him, now you go to the battlefield. But he doesn't send him without the Spirit of God. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And we should not try either to go about God's purposes without his Spirit. Never in our own strength. But the great news is is that if you belong to Christ, the promise is, is that his Spirit not only is upon you, but within you, empowering you. And so Gideon, with the power of the Holy Spirit, gathers 32,000 Israelites to go against the Midianites. But even still, he's scared. And he says, God, I still need some more signs here. I still need more signs. He says, so he throws out a fleece. And he said, out, which, like, a thing, right? But a, a fleece. And he says, God, if the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, or no, sorry, reverse. If the, the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, he says, that that's a sign to me that you're with me. All right, it happens. He says, all right, throws out another one. He says, all right, if the, this time, if the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, I'm getting this right, right? <laughs> then, then I know you're with me. God does it all. And what I love about this is that God is just so patient with us, isn't he? <laughs> We all have our fears. But like a father, he consistently, he never compromises the standard of obedience for Gideon. But he's gracious with him as he learns to trust. And so he is with us too. But next, before this battle, Gideon must see, or God must see if Gideon will trust even when he can't understand. So Gideon, the, the whole army of the Midianites fill this valley of Jezreel. It says that there are as many as the locusts and they have more camels than the sand of the, of the, of the seashore. And Gideon comes with 32,000. And God says, Gideon, that's too many. And I'm sure Gideon's like, wait, wait, wait. You mean not enough. That's what you meant, right? No, too many. All right. So Gideon obeys God, and he cuts the army down and brings them down to 10,000. Why? Because the Lord wanted to do what only he could do and deliver Israel in a way that could only be him. But even after that 10,000, God still told Gideon, too many. Are you kidding me, really? He says, break it down to 300, buddy. 300? What? And there's Gideon's test. Even when God is directing him, will he surrender his will and trust that God knows best? Or will he continue to trust his own will and try to go the way that he thinks is best? This is what it means to trust God as our one true Lord. Will he surrender his will to God, even when it clashes with his well, as the story goes, despite all military wisdom and all the things they would try to advise, Gideon went toward the multitude of Midianites with 300. And it's at nighttime. He divides them into three groups of 100, and they surround the Midianite camp. And all at once, <laughs> they blow trumpets, break glass jars, and shout. Like, not again, like, that's fighting, right? But that's what they do. And as a result, in nighttime, the Midianites freak out and panic, 
think they're among them, start killing each other, and the Lord brings about victory through Gideon in a way that only he could. Showing there is no limit to what God can do with a few obedient people empowered by his spirit. And we realize that, man, the culture in our society around us today isn't too different from Gideon's day. In the time of the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They worshiped whatever God they fancied. And in our day, people often treat faith or religion like a buffet line that they get to go through and pick and choose what they like. I like this part, but I'm not sure about this, right? But let me ask, as a result, are we healthier as a society? Would we claim to be more whole? Or we claim, like when we look around, do we see more anxiety, more exhaustion, more just confusion? I would say the latter. And so for us as God's people, one, are we willing to tear down anything that is in the way of following him with our whole heart? And then, if we love God with all we are, and we are seeking to obey him as his people, then guess what? We are going to stand out in this culture. We're supposed to. We're called to reflect the character and the love of Christ for people around us. But that can be scary because now we're going to be different. We're supposed to be. We are called to be witnesses of Christ for our neighbors, our families, our co-workers, in our church, and even in our towns. And if that feels scary to you, you know what? It does me sometimes too. Because I, I, we often hear and we often feel like, well, well, I don't know if I know enough to be able to answer people's questions. Well, I don't, I, I don't feel equipped. If I actually try to talk to someone about Jesus or pray with them, that's messy. That's uncontrollable. Even praying out loud feels daunting to me. I I don't know if I can. I feel insufficient. And if that's where you are, Gideon was too. And I do on a regular basis. Every single time I get up here on a Sunday, I am nervous. And I pray, I remember hearing that Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, used to pray every time he came up, I believe in the power of the Spirit. And that's exactly what I pray every time I walk up here. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the thing that I've been called to do is bigger than I can do. I can't change hearts. Only God can. God has to do it. But what I love again about Gideon's story is that God doesn't take Gideon straight from the wine press right to the battlefield with 300 No, he, like a loving father, he leads him one step patiently at a time, one act of obedience, confronting one fear after the other as Gideon can go. And so thinking about our own context and those that God has placed around you or maybe the calling that God has placed in your life or that burden that he's given you to bring healing in the midst of our broken world, whatever it is that God has placed on your heart, what is one step of obedience that may feel like a stretch that you can take in order to share the hope of Christ with others? For me, I've been trying to challenge myself to actually have conversations with people that, that I meet at, say, a coffee shop or a grocery store. It may be short, it may be nothing. Sometimes I may even get the chance to pray with somebody or at least just bless them. But trying to at least take that step as nervous as it makes me. How might God be leading you to face your fears 
so that he can work through you. There's no limit to what God can do with a few obedient people empowered by his spirit. Will you stand with me and pray? God, like Gideon, it's easy to look around our world and just feel overwhelmed by the amount of challenges and the brokenness, the amount of anxieties, the number of, of, of people that we so wish could find healing and hope and peace. God, all of that, it just feels daunting and overwhelming, but it's not too big for you. And for, for all the reasons we just talked about, you call us, us. Ordinary people. And you want to use us to do extraordinary things. But God, I pray that as we wrestle with that, that we will surrender our will to you. That we will singularly love you with our whole heart, strength, mind, body, everything we are. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us. And if there's anything we need to lay down right now, I pray that we will, we will not delay We'll just lay it down. And then, Lord, you show us, each person, what is a step of obedience that though un may make us uncomfortable, leads us in your purpose for us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Let's sing.